So not only is uh, Eddie a preacher, a mobilizer of short-term mission teams, but he is also a trainer. Maybe this is his specialty, a trainer of missionaries. So he loves to invest in the missionary, the interns in his program, build them up and send them out. And he is just a sending out machine, you know? And so his ministry is one that we've partnered with for more than 10 years. More than 10 years. That's a long time. So we're going to watch a video, and then we're going to welcome Eddie. But let's give him a, a hand of welcome uh, before the video. Uh, take a look at this video. When William Borden, the heir to the multi-million dollar Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from high school, his gift was a trip around the world. Now, while your average 18-year-old is going to be living it up and enjoying the time of their life, Borden experienced a growing concern for the lost of the Middle East and Asia. He wrote home, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. In the back of his Bible, he wrote two words, no reserves. Enrolling at Yale University, Borden promptly began a student ministry. By the end of his freshman year, he had 150 freshmen meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer. By his senior year, 1,000 out of Yale's 1,300 students were involved in this ministry. In a personal journal entry, he defined the source of his spiritual strength by saying, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Beyond campus, Borden was often seen ministering to the downtrodden in New Haven. He loved the widows and the orphans and the disabled. To help men who were caught in the destructive lifestyle of alcoholism, he founded something called the Yale Hope Mission. One of his friends wrote that he, quote, might be often found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, or in some restaurant to which he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead men to Christ. After graduation in the class of 1909, Borden declined numerous high-paying job offers because of this growing sense of a call to mission that was now specifically focused on Muslims in China. At that time, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats. Borden went on to Princeton Seminary and then after that set sail for China. Now he stopped in Egypt on the way for some Arabic studies, but while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within one month's time, the 25-year-old Borden was dead. I mean, just think about that. I'm 27, and at 25, his life was over. You know, was Borden's untimely death a waste? No, not in God's plan. Just prior to his death, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath no reserves and no retreats, he wrote the words, no regrets.
Well, good morning. Again, my name is Eddie Passmore. It's good to be here. I have told that story a hundred times. I've seen the video a hundred times. And it brings me to think about myself. You know, I, I don't know if you know, but I'm on the downhill slide of life. I'm going to be 60 in a couple months. Um, I might have another 15, 20 years left. Some of you are much younger. You're on the upswing. We don't know in the sovereignty of God when He's going to take us home. But hopefully, we will say, man, no reserves. I'm going to give it all. No retreats. No matter what happens, no matter what gets thrown in front of me, I'm not going to go backwards. And that we can stand before the Father someday and say, man, no regrets. My life was yours. I hope and I pray that's me and that's you. You know, have you ever had a crisis of faith where you start to wonder, do I really believe what I believe? Does it all make sense? And am I going to give my life for that? You know, this last year, I had a crisis of faith. And I've been a Christian since I've been 16 and a half years old. And I wrestled with some stuff because I teach things, I push things, I pray about things that hopefully will make a dent around the world and for God's eternity. And you know what I was coming to grips with and what my crisis of faith was? Do I really believe the gospel, the good news that we talk about? Do I really understand what that means? And I battled that. I wondered if I believed that the gospel was good news. And that it was good news that Jesus is who he says he was. And that Jesus would do what he said he would do. And that if I believed that the gospel was really all of that, and that I believed that people that didn't understand the gospel were going to hell, what was I doing with it? And I wrestled with that, and, a, and I talked about it, and I preached about it, and I felt like I was getting callous, and do I really believe that? And there was this crisis of faith. In my head, I know the gospel is true, but in my heart, it wasn't impacting me the same way. And it drove me to my knees. And I had to ask, if I really believe that, if I really believe that the gospel is good news, that Jesus came and he died and he rose again, then why don't I care about the lost and my family that are lost and the people around me that are lost? And if I really believe the gospel, then I need to understand there is a heaven and a hell and people are heading to one of those two places. And we don't like to talk about that today. We don't like to talk about hell. That's an unpopular conversation unless we use it as a cuss word. But hell's a reality. And my battle of faith and my crisis of faith was, do I really believe that? See, the term gospel was found 99 times in the New Testament. The Greek word is evangelion. It means good news 
Evangelizo means to bring good news. And that is what we have adopted as what we talk about Jesus Christ, that he is good news. That what he did and who he is is good news. Not only to you that are saved, but it is good news to those that are lost. Right? Isn't that what we say? See, our emphasis is to announce to mankind of salvation and victory over sin and death. That's the good news. That God offers to all people here in Oakland, here in the Bay Area, here in California, here in the United States, and it is to everybody around the world. It is proven and accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross as proven by his resurrection and ascension. Wycliffe Bible translator said this, the central truth of the gospel is that God has provided a way of salvation for men through the gift of his son to the world. He suffered as a sacrifice for sin, overcame death, and now offers a share in his triumph to all who will accept him. That's the good news. In summary, what is the gospel? It is a message of good news of salvation, the word of truth offered to mankind by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is a message not only of eternal life, but that one that encompasses the total plan of God to redeem people from the ravages of sin, death, and from Satan and the curse that now covers the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, there are 7 billion people in the world. Out of that 7 billion people, they say there's about 2 billion Christians. Out of those 2 billion Christians, they say there's 1 billion on-fire Bible-believing believers. That leaves 5 billion people, if I interpret Scripture right, that are headed towards hell. Okay, Again, we don't like to hear that, do we? 5 billion people headed towards hell. And there's 1 billion people that should be doing something about it, and that's you and me. In fact, since you left your home this morning, 2,000 people have died in areas around the world that have never heard the gospel, the good news. Do you get that? That needs to break our heart. That needs to change us. That needs to take us to our knees and say, what am I doing about that? How am I living? Do I really believe the good news? Do I believe the gospel? What we believe impacts our lives. If I really believe that, then it needs to impact our life. What I'm about, what I do, what, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I live. Do you believe the good news? That Jesus came, died, and rose again for our salvation, not only in this room, but around the United States, but around the world. There's 3,157 language groups today that have no access to the gospel. Do you get that? It equals about 2.5 billion people that have not heard the name of Jesus Christ. And if they have, they have not explained who Jesus is because there's nobody going, nobody telling them, no scripture in their language, nothing. Do you get that? 2.5 billion people. Predominantly, that's in the area of the 1040 window from West Africa to East Asia. 
That's where 84% of the unreached people groups are. And then there's another 16% spread out through South America, few in Mexico and around the world. 3,157 language groups with no gospel, nobody going to them, no one giving them a rip. No one cares. That's pretty strong coming from me or from anybody. But that's a reality. As they stay with no gospel, no Christians going there, nobody caring about enough to get there, and daily we see 55,000 people dying to hell. That has to do something to you and to me. And I have to be careful because I can get so callous because I preach it all the time, I teach it all the time, and then I don't do much about it. I'm being really honest with you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you talk to us through your word today. That you meet us here. That it won't just be a Sunday that I show up because this is what I'm supposed to do. But it's a day that I come face to face. Do I believe the gospel? Father, that what you gave us through your son is reality and is truth. May I understand that. May each person in the seats here today understand that. And may we understand that it needs to impact what we do and what we say and who we are. Father, thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. If the gospel is good news, why do we act like it's old news? As it's not important as we say it is. Why don't you and I concern ourselves with the loss? Why doesn't my heart break daily? Why am I not concerned about my neighbors and the nations? See, I want a life that is compelled by the gospel, the good news, the truth. And I want you to have a life that is compelled by the good news. Guess what? Majority of you in this room is not going to hell. You have come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, have you not? I can't tell because you go, like, shut up, Eddie, sit down. Huh? Yeah, if you came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not headed to hell. That's great news, isn't it? Isn't it? Come on, you can get a little excited. It's okay. But there's five billion people that are headed there. And I need to say, is it good news or is it old news? Because I don't really share it very much. I need to understand, is it important or is it not? I need to say, do I have a life that is compelled by the gospel, that it is good news and I want to share it not only with my neighbors, not only with the people that I work with, but I want it to have a ripple effect across the globe. And there are thousands of of people groups that don't even know and then there's others that hardly have enough christians around them to even take the gospel out and i need to be compelled by that would you turn with me to acts chapter 20 that's where we're going to spend our time and i think you have an outline in your bulletin this morning you can fill in the blanks and i think there's going to be stuff on the screen if but if not you'll have it on paper and i would challenge you if if it's in your bulletin to follow along, fill in the blanks. But we're going to read 
Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38 together. And I want to give you four important things that Paul gave himself to. The Apostle Paul gave himself to. And I believe this morning, if we grab those four things and the, everything that entails, then we will be people that understand there won't be a crisis. We will know that it is good news. And I have the good news to take to other people. We, we printed a shirt a couple years ago with Arabic writing on the back. I think some of you have it. And the Arabic writing says, the greatest crime in the desert is finding water and telling no one. You get that? The greatest crime in the desert is finding water and telling no one. Let me tell you, we have found living water. And it is a great crime if we don't share that with everybody. Here in Oakland and the ripple effect across California and around the uh, United States and then eventually the globe. So here it is. Acts chapter 20, 17 through 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I have lived the whole time with you from the first day I came to preach the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared both to the Jews and to the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city that the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. You know what? A little early to start preaching, but I'm going to preach for a minute. Do you get what he just said? I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except... I know that in every city, by the Holy Spirit, it tells me that prison and hardships are facing me. And then he says this, However, I consider my life worthy nothing to me if I only may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Do you get that? Let me just make that come alive for you today. If I tell Pastor Andrew today, you love him, right? You care about him? Okay. And if you don't, just give money anyway. No, um, <laughs> we do. We love him. But if I told him, you know what? When you leave today, you're not going to make it home. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be thrown in prison. You're going to be beaten if you go out these doors. Now he has a choice, right? Well, I'm not going to go home then. I'll just stay at the church and you bring me food and life's good. No. But that, that's what he has to work with, right? If he goes, it's going to be rough. But he says, you know what? He would say, man, I consider my wife, my life nothing. I just want to finish the course. I just want to finish the race. If that's what it means, if I go to prison, I get beaten. A lot of you would say, no, don't go, don't go. 
But he said, man, I need to. That's what's happening with Paul. I just wanted to come real to you for a minute. Now I know that none of you among me whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. Therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, Apostle Paul says, for I have not hesitated to proclaim you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which brought with, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw other disciples away after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Now I commit to you, God, to God and to the word of his grace, which you can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. I have not coveted any man's silver, gold, or clothing, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed uh, to give than receive. When he said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. That's the words we have today. We're looking at Paul planted the church here at Ephesus in his second missionary journey. He was just there a few days when the gospel went out, people got saved. He came back on his third missionary journey and stayed there for two years and preached and taught and trained and continued on. Eventually left Timothy to lead and pastor them at Ephesus. Paul gave himself to four things that I want to look at today. Four things that he gave himself to that you and I need to wrestle with. So this morning, first of all, he gave himself to service. To service. He said, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I live the whole time with you. I was with you from the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord With tears, although I was severely tested to the plots of the Jews. The first thing is he gave himself to service. And he served the Lord. And he served with humility. He served with humility. And he served through the pain. See, he served the Lord. We need to serve others by serving, serving Jesus by serving others. I love that you have some things that you're doing to reach out to the homeless and the people that are downcast. And we serve them, Jesus, by serving them. That's what we're called to do. He served the Lord. He said, that's what my life represents. And this morning I asked, does your life represent that? Do you serve the Lord? Or do you serve yourself? And then he served with humility. He humbled himself and said, it's not about me, it's not about my greatness, it's not about my reputation, it's about serving with humility, because I'm serving the Lord, and I'm going to serve with humility. Some of you that have come down the caravan, go to Spectrum, it's a ministry that my son directed for many years, and, and uh, Pastor Vaughn, my youth pastor, who just passed away a few months ago, he started that ministry. You know what's one of the most humble things? 
to sit at Spectrum on their bath days, and if some of you went, is wash the feet of a bunch of stinky little kids. Okay? I don't know why little kids' feet stink much more than everybody else's, but they do. And they have soap in your hand and, and run your fingers through the toes and, and the dirt's falling off, the toe jam's coming out. It's gross. It's humbling. But it's one of the most impactful things I've ever done in my life. Paul says, I'm going to give myself to service and I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve them for Him. And I'm going to serve in humility and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pick up a bar of soap and, and that's going to translate in a lot of different ways. It's going to ha- be handing a hot coffee to somebody that lives on the street or finding a lady in your neighborhood that is elderly and needs her lawn mowed or needs to be taken to the doctors and checked up upon. It's not very glorifying to do some of those things, but we serve the Lord and then we serve with humility and we serve through the pain. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. Sometimes it was hurtful. And we serve through the pain. No one said the life of a disciple is easy. It's not come to Jesus and everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be nice and easy. The Apostle Paul said, man, I give myself to service and I serve the Lord and I will serve with humility and I will serve through the pain. Is that me? Is that you? Remember in Philippians 2, it says this, Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death to the cross. Jesus Gave himself to service. Jesus served his father. He served with humility and he served through the pain. And the Apostle Paul said, that should be the same attitude that I have and that you have. A couple months ago, I got to preach in a church in Ecuador. It was a church that Jim Elliott planted in 1955. In 1956, Jim Elliott gave his life with four other missionaries, Nate Saint, Peter Fleming, and two other guys that I can't remember. Those four, two other guys, they just get left out all the time. You talk to everybody, us, Nate Saint, and Jim Elliott, and they forget the other guys, but it's Peter Fleming, I know. But he said this, this is what Jim Elliott said, this is my heart's cry, Lord, make my life a crossroad in the lives of everyone I encounter as I serve them, as I serve you, Lord, as I serve with humility, as I serve through the pain. See, there's a lot of negative things we feed into our lives why we can't serve the Lord, why we can't serve with humility, why we can't serve through the pain. 
I want you to hear these things. And I'm going to put my me in there. You can put you in there if that's true. Sometimes I say it's just impossible. But you know what God says? All things are possible in Luke 18.27. I say I'm just too tired. And God says I will give you rest in Matthew 11.28-30. I say nobody really loves me. And God says I love you in John 3.16. I say, I just can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I say, I can't figure things out. And God says, I will direct your steps. At a Psalm, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I say, I just can't do it. And God says, you can do all things through Christ. In Philippians 4, 13. I say, I'm not able. And God says, I'm able. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8. I say, it's not worth it. And God tells us it will be worth it. In Romans 8, 28. I say, I can't forgive myself. And God says, I forgive you. In 1 John 1, 9. I say, I just can't manage. And God says, I supply all your needs. In Philippians 4, 19. I say, I'm afraid. And God says, I've not given you a spirit of fear. In 2 Timothy 1.7. I say, I'm always worried and frustrated. And God says, cast all your cares upon me. In 1 Peter. I say, I don't have enough faith. And God says, I've given everyone a measure of faith. In Romans 12.3. I say, I'm not smart enough. And God says, I give you wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.30. And I say, I feel alone. And God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Hebrews 13.5. He's given us a promise too. In Matthew 28.18-20. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The lost, the five billion people in the world that are dying and going to hell need you and I to serve them. And to serve them as the Lord served them. To serve them with humility and serve through the pain. What about you this morning? Have you given yourself to service? Do you serve Jesus our Lord? Do you serve in humility? And will you serve in pain? The second thing the Apostle Paul gave himself to was the gospel. He says, You know, I have not hesitated to preach everything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared both to the Jews and to the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given the good news. See, the gospel needs to be believed. Ladies and gentlemen, like I said, I was a, I've been a Christian for 43 years. And this year, I wrestled with that. Do I believe it? Do I believe it's the truth? That I'm going to spend eternity with my Lord because of what he did for me? And that he has offered that same life to everyone around the globe. 
Do I believe that? The gospel needs to be believed by you and me. Because it's truth. The gospel needs to be showed. People need to watch my life and your life. Do you really believe that, Eddie? How do you live it out every day from morning to evening? People are watching you, where you work, where you go to school, what you do. See, the gospel needs to believe, but it needs to be showed. How do I live it out? What do people see? What do people recognize in me that makes the gospel true? And it needs to be shared. We need to open our mouth and share it and say, let me tell you why I live the way I live. Let me tell you what I believe and why I live the way you see me live. And I live a little differently than other people. Let me share it with you and open my mouth and walk them through the good news. That needs to be in you, me. Revelations 5, 9 says this, Worthy are you, Lord, to take the scroll and to open and seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people to God from every tribe, tongue, language, and people, and nation. That's what Jesus has done by what he did, by leaving heaven, coming to earth, coming to that manger that we just uh, talked about back in December. And this baby was born to die for you and me and the 7 billion people in the United States. I mean, in the world, excuse me. The whatever billion in the United States, but 7 billion in the world. That's what he did. He died for them. Paul says, I give myself to the gospel. And I need to believe it, I need to show it, and I need to share it. Charles Wesley way back in the 1700s, was a great um, preacher, pastor, evangelist. On his one-year anniversary after becoming a Christian, wrote one of his 6,000 songs and hymns. And he did this to show what God had done for him through the gospel. And this is the words he wrote. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumph of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread throughout the whole earth abroad the honors of Your name. The name of Jesus charms our fears and bids our sorrows cease. Sing music in the sinner's ears, brings life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. One year after he was a Christian, he wrote this, and he brought thousands of people to Christ, not only in England, not only here in the United States, but around the world, because he believed it. See, have you given yourself to the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done? Do you believe it? Do you show it by the way you live? And do you share it with your mouth? It needs to be done. See, the cost of sharing the gospel is costly. It's costly for a lot of people. Not so much in the United States. It's just a little uneasy for us sometimes. But none of us will lose our jobs if we share the gospel. Maybe if you work for the school district. But not too many of us. 
not like the people in the 1040 window. If they share the gospel, it means their jobs. It can mean their wealth is shut off from them. It can mean they could lose their home, kicked out of their families, kicked out of their villages. It could mean their freedom. It could even mean their life. But they do it anyway. Do you get that? They share the gospel if it means that they could lose their job and their ways of supporting their family. They do it anyway. It could mean their water source is gone and you read about it all the time. Believers, their wells are capped off and they can't use their water anymore if they share the gospel. They get kicked out of their families. I can tell you hundreds of stories I read about their families disown them. Their villages kick them out. Their towns kick them out. They get locked in prison and some are murdered and martyred for their faith. But they do it anyway because they gave themselves to the gospel they believe it they showed it and they share it what about me what about you the third thing that the apostle paul gave himself to was he gave himself he gave himself and now compelled by the spirit i just went through that a little bit i'm going to jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there all i know is that in every city the holy spirit warns me that prison and hardship face me however i consider my life worth nothing if only i may finish the race and complete the task that the lord jesus has given me the task is testifying of the gospel of his grace i give myself he gave up his loves he gave up his family friends and the future that's what the apostle paul did he gave up his loves he gave up his longings, his longings of having a financial stability, material goods, a good reputation in this world. He says, I will give that up because I've given up my loves, my family, my friends, my future. I've given up my longings to have financial stability, material goods, and a good reputation around me. And he says, I've given up my life. He gives up his life. He's willing to lay it out. I consider my life worth nothing for the cause of Christ. Do you get that? Do you get that? I don't sometimes. See, I live in a cross-cultural setting, but I don't have to worry about somebody shooting me because I'm a Christian. But I have quite a few former staff, quite a few Kids I know that have graduated from Reyes International that are heading to places that there's a good chance they'll never come back alive. And they're taking their wife and their children to those settings. And they said, I consider my life nothing for that. I've given myself, I've given up my loves my family, friends, and future. I've given up my longings of a nice picket fence and a nice house somewhere in the United States. I've given it up of having that good reputation. I just raised good, rounded Christian kids and everything's nice and rosy in my life. I've given that up. I've given up my longings and I've given up my life. Whatever it means, I will serve the Lord Jesus. The boss of Paul 
even explains a little bit more. He goes, I have many reasons to put confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason to confidence in the flesh, I even more. I'm circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but for whatever was my profit, I now consider life for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider those things rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning I would ask, does he have your life? See, the loss will not matter around the world till he has your life. If he doesn't have your life, you can give a rip about the 2,000 people who have died since you walked through these doors. And the question is, does he have your life? I know it's hard. And I know it brings me to my knees because I daily have to ask, do you have, have I given you my life? C.T. Studd is one of my, if you've been down the caravan, you've heard the name C.T. Studd because he's one of my heroes of the faith. He was a all-country famous cricket player. I have no clue what cricket is, but they have a cool bat and that I would spank my kids with. It's a, uh, not real. But he was famous in that. He was also very, very wealthy. He came from a very wealthy family in England. In one year after coming to grips from hearing from Hudson Taylor, he left his finances. In fact, history says that C.T. Studd gave all his inheritance away when he gained it to other missionaries. He gave up his career in cricket playing. He was making a lot of money even doing that. He walked away from it all to go first to China for 15 years, then to India, and then eventually, at the age 53 years old, he went to Africa, and that's where he died. 35 years of ministry. Let me just tell you some of the things that he said. True religion is very practical if we don't adulterate it. That's, pretty, that's one of his sayings. He says, Funds are low again. I have no money. Hallelujah. That means God trusts me and is willing to leave his reputation in my hands. He said the best cure for discouragement is another daring plunge of faith. He said if you're discouraged, jump into faith. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, C.T. says, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. He said this in one of his writings last june at the mouth of the congo in africa there waited a thousand prospectors traders merchants and gold seekers waiting to rush into these regions as soon as the government opened the door to them for the rumor declared that there is gold in abundance there if such men hear so loudly the call of gold and obey it can it be that the ears of christ followers disciples of jesus are deaf to the call of god are gamblers for gold so many and gamblers for God so few? He goes, I don't tell 
young people to volunteer for God. I tell them to surrender to God and go away rejoicing in Him that he, His will in His own way will be made clear to them. And then he says this, and I will end this part. Too long have we been waiting for one another to begin. The time of waiting is past. The hour of God has struck. War is declared. In God's holy name, let us arise and build. The God of heaven, he will fight for us as we for him. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock of the sayings of Christ. And the gates and minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should such men as we fear before the world, before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, mamby-pamby Christian world, we dare to trust our God. Will we venture out all for Him? Will we live and will we die for Him? And will we do it with joy unspeakable, singing loud in our hearts? <coughs> Losing my voice, sorry about that. <coughs> will we a thousand times sooner die trusting only our God than live, living trusting in men? When we come to this position, the battle is already won, and the end of the glorious campaign is in sight. We will have the real holiness of God, not that sickly stuff of talk and dainty words and pretty thoughts. We will have a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for our Jesus Christ. He says, some wish to live within the sound of a church bell or a chapel bell. I want to re run a rescue shop at the edge of hell. That was C.T. Studd's life. Because he gave himself. He gave up his loves. He gave up his longings. And he gave up his life. What about you? What about me? That's what's going to make a difference in the two and a half billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to make a difference in the two and a half billion people that live around you and live around the gospel but haven't responded to it. The five billion that are headed to hell, that's what's going to make a difference when you and I give up our loves, give up our longings, give up our lives and say, we will follow Christ. And the last thing that Paul gave himself to is he gave till it hurt. He gave till it hurt. And I'm going to read a good chunk here. Now I know that none of you among you whom I have gone out preaching the kingdom of God will ever see me again. That's what he says. Therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent in the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he brought with his own, bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away after them. So be on your guard. Remember, for three years, I've never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Now I commit to you, uh, you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver, Apostle Paul says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than receive. When he, all, he said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They wept and embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most 
was his statement that they would never see his face again. The first thing he did is he hurt over those who will leave. You can talk to Pastor Andrew and the rest of the pastors here. It breaks their hearts when they see people walk away from the faith. Apostle Paul hurt for those who would leave and walk away from what God says. He hurt over those who would stumble. And again, I don't know if you've had a good friend, a close, maybe even a partner in ministry. I've had partners in ministry that have stumbled in their faith. And it breaks my heart. Rips my heart just out of my chest. Apostle Paul says, man, I'm going to hurt over the ones who leave, that walk away from the faith. Those who stumble a little bit in their faith, they make wrong decisions. And those he hurt over those who wouldn't listen. Man, it's, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you laid out the gospel time and after time to somebody and they just won't listen to it. I've known people I've shared the gospel with and it wasn't long after that they died. And I heard over that. But I also heard over Christians who understand God's word and don't do anything with it. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, are they servants of Christ? Am I out of mind to speak this way? He goes, I'm a servant of Christ. I've worked much harder, been in prison much more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five, five times I received the Jews 40 lashes minus one, because 40 would kill you, 39 wouldn't. He got that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the country, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and gone often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I'm gone days without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of the concerns of the churches around me. Who is weak? Do I not feel weak? Who is led to sin? I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that shows my weakness. And all of that, I will follow Christ. He says, I hurt. I hurt over the ones who leave. I hurt over the ones who stumble. I hurt over the ones who will not listen. But I will continue on no matter what comes my way. And that's what we need to say this morning, that we will give until it hurts, even though it means walking away from family. Let me tell you, one of the hardest things for me in ministry for 43 years when my wife and I had to take my son and daughter-in-law and our two grandkids and stand in the Tijuana airport and see them get in a plane and fly off to Ecuador. After seeing my grandson and my granddaughter, we got to be around them for five or six years, and now we get to see them once or twice a year. The hardest thing but it was right. My son went there as a missionary to minister there, and he's got great things going on, and so is my daughter-in-law, and it ripped our hearts out to see our grandkids get on the bus, I mean, on the plane. Kills me, but it's right. Paul says, you're going to feel pain, and you're going to hurt over people that leave the faith. Man, I have to tell you, and this might come to shock, I've had 150 plus interns. There are some of those interns today that are not walking 
with the Lord at all. In fact, totally say, I, I never believed any of that. That rips my heart out. I've seen some of my staff, when they first get back, stumble in their faith and do things that they know is not right. Man, it breaks my heart. I've known people that I've shared the gospel with time and time again. Not listen. Breaks my heart. But I got to keep going. Apostle Paul said, listen, I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've had all these things happen to me. But I will do it again before the Lord and bring him glory. That's what I'm about. My wife and I, and I will end with this. My wife and I did youth ministry for 13 years before we went into other ministries and then eventually last 14 years as missionaries in Tijuana. And we used to do this thing called um, youth specialty conferences, just set up for youth pastors, and uh, usually about 2,500 to um, 3,000 youth pastors or youth leaders would come. And one year it was in Los Angeles, down by the airport, and we went. And uh, one of the days, Mike Iaconelli, one of the leaders from uh, youth specialties who's no longer alive, got up to introduce um, Doug and Yvonne Herman, and a young couple that he was a youth pastor. And he said, I want to just tell you about their life and, and see what we can do as other youth pastors to help them. Doug, this was quite a few years ago. Doug got fired from his church in Colorado. And him and Yvonne have no means of supporting themselves right now. And the reason he got fired is because Yvonne contracted AIDS. And that was way back when we were freaking out about AIDS. And you could get it just by standing next to somebody and whatever. You couldn't, but we thought you could. And so the church freaked out that how could their youth pastor's wife have AIDS and that's so unhealthy for their kids, so let's do a good Christian thing and we'll just fire him. So that's, and I was a little sarcastic if you didn't catch that, but that's what they did. So now he's out without a job and they're standing up front. She has AIDS and she was pregnant when she got AIDS. And so their little girl, Ashley, had AIDS. They have a little boy that was healthy. And so Mike says, let's see what we can do for him. So we took an offering, raised about $12,000 that day to help them out. But you know, I caught myself doing something. The rest of the time at the conference, if Doug and Ivana was around, I left the room. I hate to admit that to you. Again, I, I didn't know about AIDS much back then. And uh, I was sitting on a bed in the hotel room with my wife and I said you know what tomorrow I got to go up and I got to hug Yvonne and Doug and just tell them I love them she says she knows I'm weird anyway she goes okay then do it because I was convicted it was easy, easy for me to write a check and I didn't have to touch them much tougher to go and hug them so the next day, I went into this big room, 2,500-plus people in there. I was looking all over for him. I was going to go up and give him a hug, and I didn't see him. I said, yes. You know, I was all good. I was going to, God knows I was going to be obedient, and I don't have to be. But after the meeting, we did communion together, all of us, and it was a common cup. And out of respect to everybody, Doug and Yvonne were there, and they were up front, and I didn't, I missed them. And they start walking back, and, you know, they came right behind my chair. I jumped over the 
back chair and I just held her and I said, can't explain a lot right now. I just want to tell you I love you. And I held her for a long time and I held Doug. Later that night, Maggie and I had dinner with them. And then we got letters from Doug. We got on his mailing list for a while. First one was said, it's been a rough, rough year. But I want you to know God's faithful. But I want to tell you that our little Ashley passed away last week from complications of AIDS. Got another letter. Man, it's been hard lately. My brother, who lives with us, died of leukemia last week. But God is faithful. About a month or two later, got another letter and says, just want you to know that Yvonne has finally died because of complications with AIDS. I got another letter not too long after that and said, you know what? What a terrible two or three years of my life. But God is faithful and I will continue to serve him and continue to give my life. I will continue to honor his name here and through the nations. A few years ago, I was in San Diego at a National Work Youth Workers Convention. My friend was there. I was going to go visit him. And I walked down the aisle where they had all the little booths set up. And Doug Herman was there. I hadn't seen him for probably 15 years. And he says, Eddie, and we, we embrace. And he says, hey, let me introduce you to my new wife. And they had a little toddler running around. It's my little son. And he says, God is so faithful, Eddie. So you guys... Missions is taking the gospel to people that haven't heard. But it takes people that have given themselves a service, that serve the Lord, that serve with humility, and that will serve through the pain. And that was Doug. It's going to take people that give themselves to the gospel. The gospel has to believe, be believed. It needs to be shared and showed. It needs to be people that give ourselves, to give our lives, to give up our loves, our longings, and our lives. And that people that will give till it hurts, even when those leave us or leave the faith or stumble, or won't listen. It takes people that will say, no reserves, I'm going to give it all. No retreats, I'm not going to go backwards. No regrets. When I stand before the Father, no regrets. What about you? You know, I don't know how often you do this here in your church, but we're going to do something right now. The praise band is going to, uh, group's going to come up and sing one last song. And I have some blue sheets up here, and it's called a prayer of surrender. And if God, through the Holy Spirit, has spoken to you today, 
He said, you know what? Man, I want to give myself to service. I want to give myself to the gospel. I want to give myself my life, my loves, my longings, everything, and I will give even till it hurts. If he's got a hold of your life and he said, man, I believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus came and made a difference for me and the people sitting next to me and the people outside these walls and the people around this globe. And if he has talked to you today and says, this is what my life needs to be about, about service, about the gospel, about me giving myself up and my, me denying myself daily and picking up my cross and following him, and I will give until it hurts. It might be walking away from family members. It might be going from here where I'm comfortable to a place I know that I will lay my life out and may never come back, but I will do that. I don't know what God's saying to you, but if he's speaking to you, this is what I want you to hear this prayer, and then when we do the song, if he has talked to you today, I would challenge you to come up and get the copy of this prayer. And we made it to where it fits right into your Bible as a commitment to say, man, that's me. Man, I want to give myself to service to the gospel. I want to give myself and I will give until it hurts because I want to see the nations one for Christ. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a church that's involved in that. Oswald Smith said this, a church isn't gauged by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity to the world. And when a church see, um, to be not, um, forgets to be mission-minded, that church ceases to exist. And I believe this church is mission-minded. This church is not cared about seating capacity, but about sending people out. And that's what you and I need to be about today. So let me close with this prayer. And then if God has spoke to your heart, I would challenge you. I know this is tough to come up in front, but say, you know what? I want to represent myself as giving myself to service to the gospel, to believe it and share it and show it, to give myself, to give up my loves, my longings, and my life. And to give until it hurts. Loving Father, I surrender to you today with all my heart and my soul. Please come into my heart in a deeper way. I say yes to you today, Lord. I open all the secret places of my heart to you and say, come in, Jesus. You are the Lord of my whole life. I believe in you and commit to you as my Lord and Savior. I hold nothing back today. Holy Spirit, bring me to a deeper knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. I surrender my all to you, my time, my treasures, my talents, my health, my family, my resources, my work, my relationships, my successes, and my failures. I release it all and let it go. I surrender my understandings of how things ought to be, my choices and my will I surrender to you. I surrender to the promises I have kept and the promises I failed to keep. I surrender my weaknesses and my strengths to you. I surrender my emotion, my fears, my insecurities, and my sexuality. 
Lord, I surrender my whole life to you, the past, the present, and the future. In sickness and in health, in life and death, I belong to you and to you alone, Lord. Father, that is our prayer today. And as you are in this place, because of the Holy Spirit being here, as you have talked to lives and talked to their heart and their soul today, may we be individuals in this room that will give ourselves to you in service in the gospel and being bold about it and sharing it and living it out and believing it with our whole hearts. Today, may we give up our loves, the things that we hold so tightly to, Father. May we give up our longings and may we be willing to give up our lives for you. And Father, that hurts and help us to give until it hurts. Father, I pray that your spirit would fall on this place and there'll be individuals that will say, here I am, I will walk forward because I want to give up my life in service and to the gospel and give until it hurts. May you speak to the lives of people in this room and may we be obedient to you as we sing this song in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.